1: I just play doctor online, and if you'll give me just a moment here, I'm going to uh, take a sip of, uh, of my adult beverage. Ah. feel I'm going to need that, um, not just before I went on the air tonight, but relatively just before I went on the air tonight, or start recording. Uh, learned the news that uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died. And we kind of knew she wasn't going to last forever. Of course, we know everybody's not going to last forever, right? Um, But we were hoping, we were hoping that she could get through this administration and hopefully we'll have a change of administration, you know, Go over to the sane party instead of this party that decides to show whatever, you know whatever. <laughs> Get off the law and order party that's whatever. As long as it supports fearless leader, so uh, it's kind of a sad moment, uh, and it's a you know I, I I have no doubt that the country will putter along as it normally does, but I'm telling you. Uh, I mean, you know, he's probably going to nominate, uh, you know, Ann Coulter. You know, got to get a woman on the court. So, well, let's nominate Ann Coulter. She's a lawyer, right? She's good people. She's smart, right? Uh, and it's just, it's just going to be. And the, and the Republicans have already saying Mitch McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, is already saying, oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna rubber stamp whoever he gets right through. Boom, bam. We're gonna get, we're gonna get that process done real quick. Four years ago. When uh, Antonin Scalia died, and President Obama wanted to, you know, and he did nominate a fellow named Merrick Garland, the Republicans said, oh, no, 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 We, we we can't go forward with this. Oh, it's it's an election year. We're so close to another election. Oh, we, we can't do that. No, 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 so close, so close to another election. You know, it's nine months away. Yeah. Well, this time we're less than two months away. We're less than fifty days away from the election. Man, I you know I know I said this a couple weeks ago that I have this sinking feeling that he's going to get reelected. I'm I'm back and forth on that. I really am. Uh, the hearing, fearless leader talking in front of his sycophants, saying that you know the only way the Democrats are going to win this election, the president. of the the president is if they rigged the election. That seems to indicate to me that maybe his campaign people are seeing numbers that they don't like. And so they're trying to set up whatever legal action can be done. I mean, why would he be talking that way? I don't know. I don't know. But... So I wonder how the GOP is going to say, well, the Garland Rule, uh, well, that's uh, only if the president's in their second term. And then the last year of the second term, you know so close to the election so close you know, we, we. The principle of shifting principles. well anyway, let's see what you know onward and forward, which whatever. <clears throat> now to start the show the way I was going to and just uh, say I'm sorry that didn't do a show last week. Uh, it, it just was a busy weekend. Um, I work Friday nights as, as per usual, and, but my younger brother uh, was moving into his house. He just became a homeowner. Uh, and that's pretty cool. Congratulations to Steve and he needed some help to you know move some stuff. And I told him, I said, well, I can't help you on Friday, but Saturday I can shift my work schedule at the comic book store to Sunday, and I, I can I can be available Saturday. So I was. And so then I thought, ah, geez, it's just going to make it all jumbly and difficult to get everything done. So, well, something has to give, and it's usually the show. Sorry. But... Uh, you know, it's nice on a Friday night when I can get home from work and just not have to record a show. Not that it, I like recording the show too. I like doing that. It's just sometimes it's nice. It's, oh, geez, I don't have to worry about it. You know, sometimes it's nice. Uh, I also did get to meet um, what I, I I'm I'm fairly certain is my younger brother's uh, uh, new lady friend because uh, she's going to be living with him. I, don't think they're just gonna be housemates. I, I I think there might be I you know I didn't pry, <laughs> but you know uh, she is somewhat she was somewhat new to me because she's been coming to the chat room at ztalkradio.com to uh, listen to the show. So she's been showing and at the, oh okay so he he's you know she's she's uh, showing an interest in something that my brother has an interest in, which is me. Why would my brother be interested in me? I don't know. He's showing his support. That's what he's doing. So congratulations, Steve and Leslie, uh, on the house. That's great. Let's hope everything works real fine and you don't, you know, having a house, boy, I tell you, it can lead to some, it's always something. You know, it's always, i got to deal with this, got to deal with that. I gotta, you know, it's, it's always, it always is. So, okay, so that's that. Now, um, I am going to do just a little Bit of a follow-up on the baseball talk I had a bit ago. Don't run away. <laughs> Just a little. Now I talked about how I didn't like that the announcers are starting to, to to push their way into the game by talking to the players while they're playing. Well, uh, after I had that talk, the next, the following Sunday on ESPN, while I was watching the game. It was the St. Louis Cardinals playing the uh, Chicago Cubs, and the announcers were talking to the shortstop. For the Cardinals, a fellow named Paul DeYoung, I think is how you say his last name DeYoung, and now he's a shortstop, and that's a pretty busy position on the field. I mean, it can be, and it's you know, it's if he's out in the outfield, he has a little more time to react to the ball than than if he's in the infield. You know, the the players. So a shortstop is in the infield; he's got to be on top of things, got to be paying attention to the game. And so he's talking to the two announcers. He's got the earpiece in, he's talking to them, and a ball gets hit in his direction. So he he has to stop the conversation. He, he runs to get the ball. His earpiece comes out. He gets the ball, throws to first. The runner is safe by about half a step. And then, then we hear the... Uh, The microphone's still on, but his earpiece is gone. So we hear the player saying, "Uh, my earpiece fell out, my earpiece fell out. And the umpire finds it and gives it back to him. He puts it in and tells, sorry guys, my earpiece fell out. And they continue their conversation. But I was left thinking, if he was able to just concentrate on the game, if he didn't have a conversation going while he's working, you know, multitasking, because we're not good at multitasking. People think they are, but they're not. You're not good at multitasking. Your brain works on one thing at a time. And it shuts off real quick from the one thing to the next thing, does it real quick, but it's, 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 there's still a, a lag. There's still a boom from one boom to the other. You, if you multitask, you don't do the ta- either task or several tasks, you don't do them well. So here we have a player multitasking. He's talking to some people and he's concentrating on the game. So now he stops his conversation, gets, you know, he missed the throw. Well, he didn't miss the throw. He got it to first base, but he didn't get it there in time. Did the conversation and the earpiece falling out slow him down a second or two? I don't know. There's no way we can know for sure. But my prediction is that as this encroaches more and more into the game, and it becomes every game that they do this in, we're going to have some player screw up something, and he's going to blame talking to the announcers on his screw-up. It, it's going to happen. So, okay, that's enough of that. But I am going to stay with baseball for just for a little bit. Now, this is, this is a little different. The uh, Minnesota Skeptics met up uh, a couple weeks ago. We did our Zoom, our monthly Zoom meetup, which, uh, you know, I, I really think we should do more often than just once a month. I just, it's it's just, it's since we're doing the Zoom thing. And I had suggested to Craig, he's one of the uh, skeptic, Minnesota skeptic elders, I, I, I suggested to him, you know, if we ever get back to actually meeting in person for our meetups, maybe we should do, you know, one of those once a month and then do a Zoom once a month. You know, there are some there are some skeptical organizations uh, or, you know, I don't know if they're organizations to the right words, but there's some skeptical groups that do it every week, do this uh, uh, online thing every week you know, drinking virtually, or whatever they call it. So, you know, maybe it's something. But anyway, and so when we do the uh, the skeptics thing, part of what I do is, uh, what I like to do, and I've been doing it for a few weeks, a few times now, uh, is I have some show-and-tell. Uh, art projects I've worked on, something I might have, you know, a comic book or something related to the skepticism, or maybe not. Whatever. And I encourage other members of the Minnesota Skeptics to have some show and tell. Show us something. Tell us something. It's fun. Because we, you know, it's it's something. And it's yeah, I, I'm not going to bring all this stuff out to the, to the restaurant that we meet at. I'm just, you know, I've got it right here. I'm in my room. You know, what the heck? Why don't I show some stuff? So, anyway, the last meetup that we were at, or Zoom meetup, I, I, and, I, and I'm going to do this here for you as well. I, I'm going to make a confession. Um, I, I, I do not know how to catch a baseball with a baseball glove. I do not know how to do that. I don't know if I've ever mentioned that on this show in the 10 plus years that I've been doing it. But uh, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. And I, I let that out in in the zoom conversation and I have a couple of friends that are in the uh, in the in the in the Minnesota skeptics group I mean these are people that I've met through the Minnesota skeptics but a couple of them are are, are people that um, I've uh, I've engaged with outside of the Minnesota skeptic stuff uh, a couple of them and one of them <laughs> felt that oh my goodness I've got to... I've got to explore this. And he just, he, he was, a he was, he, he found it so hard to believe that such a baseball fan would not know how to catch a baseball with a glove. And, and, and I said, I just, I never learned how. You have to learn how to do it. You know, just like you have to learn how to catch with a bare hand, you have to learn how to catch with a glove. It's different than catching with a bare hand. It's just, it's different. The glove makes your hand bigger. And and, and and the way the modern gloves are, some players, especially outfielders, their gloves are. It's almost like having a basket at the end of your hand, of your arm, that a flexible basket. It and so the catching part of of your hand becomes somewhat outside of your hand. You know, between your thumb and your first finger, that little area there. There's a web there, and part of that meaty part of the hand in between is in that is in that catch zone in the glove. Whereas your hand, when you're catching with the bare hand, the, the, the it's it's uh, it's that upper part of the palm, just at the bottom of the fingers and those 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 parts uh, those lower parts of the fingers. That's what you, if you catch it right in the palm or in the at the at the heel of your hand, it'll bounce out. You need to catch it in there. And it's just, with the glove, same thing. If it's more into the palm or the the, the ball of the hand, it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna bounce out. Right, so you have to you have to essentially learn to catch a ball outside of your hand, because your hand is bigger now, and if you don't learn how to do it, it's not going to be easy. Now, I could probably learn how to do it, but boy, I tell you, I got so much crap <laughs> for it, and and I even responded on the Minnesota Skeptics page a couple days later. I must have been fuming about it a little bit, saying, so, "Well, you know, man, you know, you guys can't draw, and I can. You just don't give you shit about that." <laughs> I did, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I take ribbing pretty well, um, it's because I understand it's, it's good-natured, and it's not necessarily, you know, it's not meant to hurt me, I know that, so I take it well, but, and because I do, I seem to invite, seems to be the wrong word, um, I, I seem to give permission to give me shit, <laughs> more so than maybe other people do. I don't know what it is. There's just something about me. I roll with it better than the average person. Maybe I don't know. Um, sometimes it does bug me though. Sometimes it kind of gets on my nerves. I'm like, dude, does anybody ever take me seriously? <laughs> I, I I I somewhat wonder. But no, they do. It's just i I don't know. And 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 I, you know. And speaking of my younger brother. I mentioned it to him some time ago. It was, just, it was bugging me for, at some moment. Something was happening. And I just, it was bugging me that it didn't, you know. That I geez, you know, I tried to be serious about something and, and they just, they just, I, it just gets pushed back at me. I just get needled instead of being listened to. And I said, some, you know, most of the time it doesn't bother me at all, but it, sometimes it does. And I wonder, why? Why do I get it so much? And he, he told me, he says, because it's because I roll with it so well. He says, you, you, he says, you can take it. You know, I can dish it out. And I can take it. It's just, it's you know. But you know, I have my limits. He said, and and I thought about that uh, recently, after getting that shit. Which again, I I know it was good natured, and it was just they were just poking fun at me because you know I should know how to catch with a glove, but I just never learned how. It's like I understand the concept of how to catch with a glove, which I just explained. I understand it, but if I've never practiced it, if I've never had the chance to do it, I. <clears throat> You know, I can't do it. So it's like somebody can understand how to ride a bike, understand the concept. You sit on the seat. You have your feet on the pedals. You push the pedals in a circular motion, you know, up and, you know, you do that. You hold the handlebars and you steer with that. Yeah, that's how you do it. But knowing that doesn't make you able to do it. You have to learn and you have to practice to get good at it, right? So, anyway, I take the, the ribbing pretty good-naturedly. Once in a while, it starts to get a little on my nerves because, well, I'm human. But for the most part, it, it rolls off because I understand. And, uh, and, and I guess, you know, as, according to my younger brother, I maybe get it more than other people might because I do take it well, and I, I understand, and I, I don't get too. It's not, too, it's not something I pull, uh, take too personally. I mean, for example... My nickname, Dim. <laughs> well, that came from when I went to art school. I know I've told the story, probably a number of times on the show over the years. But when I went to art school, um, I was hanging the, the group that I hung with. Uh, there was a fellow in there. His name was Eric. And one day, Eric just this is how my memory of it is. Eric just uh, started changing our names of the of the, the guys in the group and he would just change the first letter of, of the name to a d from, from whatever it was so troy was droy lou was du gene was dean jim became dim and dim stuck it just worked it just the guys just started calling me dim and it wasn't meant because i was because i was dim you know it it wasn't it just was yeah, it works <laughs> So but it was but that's I you know, I was thinking about it, I think, like, well that's that's endemic of this, this being able to take the ribbing. Mostly. <laughs> once in a while. Once in a while. So sometimes guys. Yeah. Just wink at me, say, you know we love you, right? <laughs> it's well yeah, you know I'm fond of you guys. Um, I gotta figure out what time it is. Oh, uh it's that time. I'm going to take a break. I've done a, a bit of meandering through this beginning. But uh, what the hell, you know? What the hell? So, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I shall return after this uh, break.
0: is not your cup of tea. Then Drink coffee! 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 <laughs> <laughs> Drink coffee! 100% news. 100% information. 100% guarantee. Well, you might say that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're listening to Talk Radio Network.
0: More listening to Z Talk Radio's Redheaded Stepchild. It's Dr. Dim on Dim Land Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. Mm, get him some Z's. Mm, get him some Z's. Get him some Z's. wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen to Z Talk Radio. On
1: And welcome back to Dimland Radio here in the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Doctor Dim, constantly being ridden for whatever reason, Fitzsimmons. <laughs> oh, uh, one cool thing did come out of the of the ribbing that I got for not being able to catch with a glove. Uh, I've had at least three, I think maybe four. People have, uh, once they found out, have offered to teach me how to catch with a, with a glove. And one of them was the one that was giving me the most, <laughs> the hardest of the hard time. He said, I'm coming over. We, we can socially distance. I'll teach you. <laughs> so, so maybe I'll learn. I'm, I'm sure. I, you know Maybe. Maybe. But I guess I'd have to get a glove. Uh, my son did have one. Uh, but uh, it's it's gone. You know he never he never used it. He probably can't catch with a glove either. <laughs> a little what? Uh, oh no, I'm not gonna needle him about that because I know what it's like. You know I have feelings. Anyways, <clears throat> so that's a cool thing that uh, at least three, maybe even four people have uh, said that they're they're, they're willing to uh, uh, teach me how to catch with a glove, or at least help me practice. <sighs> who says you, you never need algebra later in life? Come on, who says that? I saw a, a, a cartoon with a, a fellow on his deathbed. He's an old, old guy, and he's saying, I made it, I made it through my life without ever having to use algebra. Something like that. Just before, you know, it was probably his dying words. Um, well, uh, I needed it recently. Now, I used to be good at algebra in school. But that was that was like you know, that was like 400 years ago. So I've forgotten a lot of the algebra stuff. But I used to be good at it, and I could probably have uh, if I sat and thought about it and figured out I might have been able to figure out how to do this. Um, maybe with the use of the internets. who knows? But I did use the internet. I used the Facebook. But this, but I put it out there to the to the to the brain trust in the in on the intertubes I said okay I need to figure out how to take something from uh, 1 12th scale and get it up to 1 8 scale you know or you know go from 1 12 to 1 8th well how what how, what how do I do that what, what what do I have to do I put that out to the internet on the Facebook Somebody's going to know the math. Somebody's going to be able to, to give me that answer. And somebody did. I, actually, more than one somebody. But the first person who said it, and you, know, you guys aren't going to be as floored by this as I was, not that I was terribly floored, but I, was, I thought that was pretty cool, was Mick West. Mick West was the first person. He's a Facebook friend. I don't think we've really you know, had any conversation with each other. I think we maybe have commented on the same posts, or he's commented or liked something I posted. I've commented or liked something he's posted. But we've never really interacted with each other through the Facebook. But we're just, you know, we're Facebook friends. Yeah, that, that, that kind of Facebook friend. But Mick West is one of these guys that's a bit... You know, higher up in the skepticism world, movement, whatever you want to call it, he's he's kind of a big deal—not a real, real big deal, but kind of a big deal. <laughs> he's written a book called *Escaping the Rabbit Hole*. He's also uh, he also does a podcast called *Tales from the Rabbit Hole*. You may recall that I play uh, an ad in the ad breaks that. Uh, for his podcast uh he's a, a science guy he's he was a computer programmer uh software programmer or something like that uh he d- or software developer or something where he he came up with some i don't know some game from for somebody called tony hawk I, I think he's a skateboarder or something anyway so he's he's done that and he's retired from that probably made a ton of money I'm guessing he's kind of a young guy to be retired, but uh, you know, and and he seems like he's a pretty decent guy. But and he's he's got this website called MetaBunk org, where he's you know he skeptically examines claims and puts up his the his findings on stuff, especially like video uh, uh, images. Um, he he he's he's, he's got a, a particular. Uh, expertise in them and picking them, you know, apart or explaining what we're probably seeing. All those, all those uh, declassified uh, military uh, videos of uh, UFOs taken from the Air Force or whatever, um, that just, just recently, you know, a couple years ago, some of them started coming out and then they were officially declassified within this last year or so um he's he's gone through and explained this is what we're seeing this is likely what's happening it's really cool so so he's the first guy to give an answer and the answer is you multiply whatever the one twelfth number is by 1.5 and that brings it up to 1 eighth. um you know so so why did i need that well uh i have um I finally finished a a model kit that I had started. Oh, uh, oh, uh, I mean, uh, about 15 years ago. (laughs) (sighs) It sat on my desk, in my drawing table, in my room, for for that much time. I had uh, uh, purchased the model. You know, well, it had had been issued in 2003, and I purchased it obviously sometime shortly after that. Started working on it. Got a long way through it. But then it got set aside and life happened. And 15 years later, <laughs> when I was, uh, at the last skeptics meetup I was sitting at the at that drawing table and I was looking at the model and I thought, you know, damn it, I'm gonna finish this. So when I had a, a, an evening off, um, I, I sat down and I put like four hours in and, or so and it got it done. And what it is, it's a model of the Incredible Hulk. Yes, I'm a nerd. And it is a reissue of a model that was first issued in 1966. Uh, I didn't have that one, but it was reissued again in 1974. Now, I did have that one when I was a kid. And that particular kit came with a comic book, a mini comic book, that would, uh, uh, that had the, within the comic book it would have the instructions on how to build the model kit, but it would also have a comic book story of the Hulk battling some bad guys. And there would be a splash page, and a splash page is a is a is what is called uh, uh, it's what the, it's called in the comic book biz. Uh, it's a full page of art. There's just one panel, full page. They call that a splash page. So there's a there's a splash page included in this mini comic book that is meant to be you know set up behind your model kit to be a backdrop for it. So the Hulk isn't drawn onto the page. All the bad guys are shooting at him and chasing him, but the Hulk is standing in front. Uh, you know he's not. Drawn in, your model stands in for him. So, I had that kit in 1974. Uh, I had, the model has go, has gone away, that the one I put together back then. But I still have the comic book, which is cool. So, what I did when I was first putting this model kit together. 15 years ago was I made a color copy of the splash page and I mounted it to a little board and I was gonna set that behind the model when I put it on display, so it would have the backdrop for it. I got it all kind of worked out. And so I, I, 15 years later, I finished the model, I get it all put together, I put the thing behind it and I thought, huh, the little backdrop seems to be completely hidden by the model. Well, I did a little research. I posted uh, the, the finished model on, on the Facebook, and a person commented, you know, what year did that come out, or something like that? So I started doing some research on it to find out that information in 1966, and again 1974, and then in 2003. Well, the difference that I found out in this was uh, that the 2003 reissue of the model didn't come with a comic book. Uh, it, it, that was one difference. The other difference was it was bigger than the originals the originals were at 1 scale and the new one was at 1 scale so eight times that would be you know full-size hulk which seems like it wouldn't be but i guess um well it might be anyway so that's that's the deal and that's why i turned to facebook To ask, uh, can somebody help me figure this out? I somewhere around our house, somewhere it's in some art pile of art supplies somewhere, and on Amy's little area where she works on stuff, or up in my room where I work on stuff. There is a scale wheel. We have a wheel that's a little flat, little thing that you can turn, you know, and you can, you know, and you can work out doing the scale of things. And I bet you, I would, if I had that, I would have been able to. You know, figure it out, but you uh, multiply it by 1.5, or you make it. You go on the on the on the um, uh, copier. You move the copier up to 150 percent, and that brings up the scale from 1/12 to 1/8. So I've done that. Uh, I've had to print it out on two sheets of paper, you know, one half and the other half, uh, and I'll have to put it together and get another board for it and, and see if I can put it all together. Um, i will put at least the pictures of the model in the show notes so you can check it out and and see how cool of, um, uh, well or how much of a nerd i am but uh, finally to get it done and and then to get some uh, or to, to get the model done that was cool and then to get some math help from from mick west you know it's kind of cool I mean, I said to my wife, "says so You know what that means? That means he sees my posts. He's famous, well, kind of. And he sees my posts. I'm nobody. Nobody listens to my podcast. Nobody, you know, reads what I write. It's just somebody. You know, he's he. They read his stuff. <laughs> he's got a Wikipedia page. I'd love to have a Wikipedia page, but I, you know, I, you know, I have to do something to warrant such a thing." Alright, uh, let's see. Big news! Oh boy, this is big news. And this is, this is big news in the science realm. Let me look and see. Okay, okay. Big news in the science realm. Uh, although, well, here it is. There's life on Venus! I'm going to take a pause to drink a little beer here while you think about that. Okay, Maybe. All right, the headlines seem to indicate that they scientists have found life on Venus or or people run away thinking that's what they found. Well, no. What they found was a chemical called phosphine. And they found that in the atmosphere of the planet Venus. You know, uh, Venus, you know, on the surface of Venus, it's really super hot, like I I don't know, like 900 degrees or something like that. It's I mean, it's really super hot. But up in the atmosphere, there's an area where it's, it's, you know, very mild as far as the temperature goes. There's sulfuric acid all over the place. So it's still not very hospitable to life as we know it. But it's at least not super hot. And uh, two telescopes, one in Hawaii, one in Chile, have uh, found this, this chemical. And called phosphine, uh, PH three, and uh, phosphine uh, is something that can be uh, made through industrial processes, and it, it, but it's also something that can be made biologically, uh, a byproduct of some biological organism, uh, a microbe of some sort that you know. It eats whatever it eats, and it craps out phosphine, or it breathes out phosphine, or you know it's that that's one of the things that comes out. That's you know. So it's they're thinking, you know, it's poss- certainly there's no industrial stuff going on on uh, on Venus. Obviously, it's an agrarian society. Now, there's not, not that kind of life up there, but if it is, this phosphine is cre- is is generated through microbes in the atmosphere that would mean there's life on Venus, which we would have life on another planet. Extraterrestrial life. Uh, you know, we would finally have, uh, if, if confirmed, we would finally have a second data point uh, of, uh, of a planet, with you know, of life in the universe. We'd have a second one. Right now, we only have one. That's just, that's Earth, that's it. That's all we know about in the universe. But then we'd have two, if it turns out Venus has life on it, if it turns out that the phosphine is created by that life, they the, the scientists that they had tested other possibilities of how phosphine could have been generated through lightning or through volcanic activity uh, and some other you know non biological method uh, 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 methods. Um, and they didn't seem to find that that was it, but they're they still saying, and this is a quote from the scientists that, uh, that uh, published this paper or put this, uh, this, you know, put this news out. Um, they emphasize that the detection of uh, pH3, or phosphine, is not robust evidence for life, only for anomalous and unexplained chemistry. So they, they, you know, um, they're not sure at this point. And the way that they will be able to be sure is if we send some probes to Venus. Yeah, at least one, I imagine. But, you know, send some probes to Venus to, to, take, to drop into the atmosphere and take some samples of what's in the atmosphere and send that information back to Earth. And if they find the microbe that they, that's creating us, then they'll have confirmation it may be some other process that's causing this there have been other times when they thought did we find life on mars uh and then you know thought maybe well this could be life on mars but now in general the science is saying "Eh, it probably isn't probably you know was misread although i was reading an article which i'll link to on the show notes page go to dimland.com click on the show notes and you'll find the uh the article it's a it's a cnet article by uh, eric Mack and jackson ryan um and they say in there that uh, that the the scientists that uh, uh, thought they had discovered uh, life on mars still think they're right but the science doesn't seem to be confirming that after all this time so who knows uh let's see i'm going to am i going to take my next break let me just—I'm just checking the time. It's just checking the time. Give me a moment. Um, yeah, what the hell? I'm gonna take my next break. You are listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at uh, ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Doctor Dim Simmons. I'll be back.
0: Those other guys. The
1: finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. I'm Mick West. In my podcast, Tales from the Rabbit Hole, I have extended conversations with people who have been involved in conspiracy culture. I do this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it's really interesting. These people have great stories about how they fell down the conspiracy theory rabbit hole, what they did down there, and what it was that helped them out. Sometimes I also talk to people who investigate conspiracy theories, and they have equally fascinating stories from the other side. Secondly, I want to understand how best to prevent the spread of conspiracy theories and misinformation, which is an increasing problem in a time when alternative media is exploding. The best way to do this is to
0: communicate effectively with the people involved, and the best way to do that with a nice long chat.
1: So check it out, Tales from the Rabbit Hole, tftrh.com.
0: Remember, there's no hugging in the chat room. You're listening to Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Talk Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host Jim Doctor Jim Fitzsimmons. Uh, that was Prince playing when we came out of the break. Um, I I may have mentioned this as a cool thing in the past. I'm going to say it again because I just I, I saw it again recently uh, on the YouTube. Came to mind and I wanted to watch it again. Uh, it, it's I think I was I think I might have been watching some other YouTube video that uh, mentioned it oh yeah i think that's what it was it was a uh, one of those biographics um the uh series on youtube uh, that um uh, might not get all their facts right <laughs> i think i talked about the stan lee biographics that they did and i was finding a lot of errors <laughs> in it but uh uh, because I happen to know some stuff about Stanley, and I was like, No, 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 that's not right. No, no, that's not right. No, you didn't get that right. <laughs> and don't why are you playing your interstitial music? Why are you playing the Superman theme? What does this? What does Superman have to do with Stanley? Huh? Anyway, but this other uh, biographics I was watching was about Prince, and the uh, um, uh, uh, the Simon Whistler who was the host of these. Uh, he, you know, we brought up the uh, appearance that Prince made uh, as uh, a tribute to um, uh, George Harrison. And I think it was either the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame thing or something, or just a straight up tribute to George Harrison. I can't remember which. And uh, it was they were, uh, a super group was formed on stage. You know, There was uh, Tom Petty, Jeff Lynn, and Steve Winwood uh, were on stage. Uh, Danny, um, or Donnie, um, uh, Harrison George's son was on stage playing guitar just standing in the back looking a lot like his father uh, and they were singing uh, or performing the song While My Guitar Gently Weeps and and, I, and Prince comes out and, and does a two minute solo on there that just kills it just kills it's, it's, it's if anybody thought that well he's a good guitarist no 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 he's a brilliant guitarist <laughs> Just, he was. Um, and so that, 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 that brought it to mind, and I thought, well, I'm going to watch this thing again. So, uh, I looked it up on the YouTube, and, and they, they all do a really good job. I think Jeff Lynn's voice is being helped a little bit with auto tune. I think, I can't say absolutely, but I think I they, they hear a little bit of it in there here and there. But, you know, okay. So, um, they they they're playing they're playing the song and there's another fellow in there who's a guitarist, I don't know his name, and he's doing the lead lines for about the first half of the song, or more than half of the song. He's doing all the little the lead lines, the little lead fills that on the actual song on the album were played by Eric Clapton. And so he's do, and he's shredding too. I mean he's doing he's just he's just hitting it just like Clapton did on the album. I mean he's reproducing really well, but he's giving it some good flair of his own and, and he's doing great. Uh, and then you, we notice that standing off the side of the stage, you catch a glimpse of them earlier on, but they don't really have them lit up too much. And then, then all of a sudden, there he is. There's Prince standing on the side of the stage, and he's just uh, playing along doing some, some rhythm guitar and, uh, as as, they, as they're getting to it. And then he gets the cue from Tom Petty or something that, go ahead. Let her let her rip, and and he does, and he just goes into this thing, and 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 I think at one point he thought, okay, are we done? He looks over at Petty, and Petty gives him another, nope, keep going, give us some more, and and you know you can see Prince is they're all having a great time, uh, you can see there's a smile on Prince's face as he's returning um, uh, Tom Petty's smile, and it's just like, all right, and he just keeps going and. Uh, he does some, you know, some of the Prince theatricality of, of uh, leaning back into the audience. And he has somebody there, you know, a bouncer guy to, you know, one of his people, I, I'm sure, uh, to kind of catch him and then push him back, you know, back up in the standing. And it's just a little fun. And then when he finishes his, his complete shredding, I mean, just, oh, God, it's, it, he, he, the song ends. And right on cue, he takes it off of his shoulders and throws it up in the air and walks away. And I'm sure the guy that caught him from the stage catches the guitar. and yeah, But it, it, we don't see it happen. It, we just see, the, see him throw up the guitar and walk away. <laughs> it's great. It's just like, I'm done here. Boom. And it's just, I was watching it, and I'm not kidding. I felt tears coming to my eyes. I just was thinking, God damn. Yeah, he's gone. And it, it, apparently he's so massively uh, prolific that his vaults are just filled with music. So we may have years and years of of possible releases of of new Prince music because of uh, how much stuff he did. But uh, I, I just and and don't don't get me wrong, I I'm not the biggest Prince fan in the world. I I, I know his eighties stuff and it's just his popular 80s stuff. I don't know his albums all that well. Um and certainly not past the eighties and it, you know maybe a little bit here and there but i i just you know it, it was just something i don't know it was something nice knowing that he was a, he was still around and producing stuff and maybe he wasn't the you know the you know the the big superstar that he was that he came to be uh, with purple rain and and then sign of the times after that you know maybe he wasn't the superstar that he was but he was still a star and he was still doing stuff and he loved Minneapolis and was here and it was just you know it just that that some feelings started happening and you know how much i don't like having feelings and i was just like wow that's really something and then there's a uh there's a reaction video uh that i saw of that and the, the fellow had a had a good time with that one too uh it's just it's just uh, what a musician what a talent and what a loss speaking of a loss <clears throat> all right um i gotta talk about this is not cool A fearless leader, some months ago, had admitted to reporter uh, Bob Woodward, you know, the half of the the reporting team that uh, exposed uh, the Watergate scandal, connected it to Richard Nixon, brought down a presidency, Bob Woodward, with Carl Bernstein. Bob Woodward, a guy who gets information from people and writes books sat down with the with the president while the pandemic was was making its way over to the United States and was tape recording the president saying, Yeah, I'm downplaying it. I downplayed it. I'm gonna to continue to downplay it because I don't want people to panic. I don't want people to panic. He doesn't he doesn't want people to panic about the pandemic. He wants them to panic about the caravan of uh uh, immigrants coming from you know to raid the country from south of our border he wants us to panic about that he wants us to panic about uh the the democrats coming to take your guns which by the way he signed in the ban on the bump stocks that was trump that did that he wants he wants the american people to panic uh about uh low-income folks uh moving into the suburbs he wants everybody to panic about uh, Joe Biden's America. You know, he's going to destroy the suburbs. He's going to he's going to destroy religion. He's going to abolish the police. He wants people to panic about all those things. He just doesn't want them to panic about the virus, really. And then, of course, his followers will all be like, "Oh yeah, that's being very presidential." You don't want us to panic about that stuff. You got You know, at the time. And I and I was watching some this uh, on you know Seth Meyers with his closer look and the Daily Show you know, uh, with Trevor Noah Trevor Noah talking about this and one or the other or both had mentioned at the same time that the president is saying oh it's just fifteen cases it's going to be zero it's going to go it's going to be a miracle it's going to disappear blah 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 you know that's what he was saying at the same time he's saying that President Obama tweets out that people should you know uh wash their hands practice social distancing listen to the the scientists at the cdc their recommendations and you know we will as a country you know we got to look out for each other and we're going to work through this you know that's what he's that's what he was tweeting while the president is just oh it's nothing it's gonna be nothing i mean because he doesn't want us to panic. Now, the way President Obama worded it, that's, that's not causing you to panic. It's saying, here's some things you can do. This is serious. We've got to take it serious. We've got to do this. But something that uh, the, the guys uh, either, it was either Seth Meyers or it was Trevor Noah. I can't remember which. One of them didn't happen to mention the line in there, in the tweet where President Trump, uh, not Trump, Obama was saying, uh, leave the masks to the healthcare people. Well, you remember that early on, the CDC was saying, well, masks may not be the thing right now. We want the masks for the healthcare people. Uh, we don't wanna run out of PPEs and all that. So, But then later on, once the supply started to get figured out, uh, and then once more science was done, we, uh, they, they, or the scientists found, hey, you know, the masks, even just simple cloth ones, do have an effect uh, on limiting the spread of the virus, so let's encourage people to wear masks. Let's do this, but you know, fearless leader, he he, he still I, I still don't get why these people, his supporters, just are so opposed to masks. They're just it's like, I don't I don't get it. You know, some of them are veterans. Some of them some of them were willing to give up their lives. For their country, for their family, for their friends, for strangers. They were willing to give up their lives, but they're not willing to put on a mask? I just, I don't, I, 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 I don't get it. It's just, it's, it leaves me scratching my head thinking, you know, what the hell? <laughs> what is wrong with with wearing a mask? It's just, you know, a few weeks ago, I played that uh, audio piece from Chris uh, Brown. Uh, yeah, the the, the the yes, that's Chris Brown, the the skeptic, uh, saying. You know, some part of what he said was was that. I mean, the grandparents uh, and parents of some of these people, you know, they they lived through a depression and a world war. They they've got to be looking if you know if they're alive, uh, or at least you know, or if there's an afterlife of some sort. Which, <laughs> come on uh they if they knew about this they would have to be embarrassed by this reaction and i and i just go far enough to say or even farther to say you know the baby boom generation i'm telling you i know i'm part of it but i'm at the really end of it i'm way i'm just like a couple born a couple months later and i'd be what is the next one generation z is that the next one generation x i don't i don't know but i think it's gen x um the baby boomers man such a spoiled selfish generation. It's just, you know, and this mask thing is just part of it. Now, there are plenty of baby boomers wearing their masks. And I'm much happier to see, you know, to go to the stores now and I see people wearing masks because they've been mandated. Mandated by the stores themselves, but also mandated within the state. But I've been told that the further away you get from Hennepin County, the less likely you're to find people wearing masks. Yeah, it's just... You know, like the, 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 my boss at the comic book store, his wife was visiting family out west of the Twin Cities, and she's, she's, she says, according to her anecdotal evidence, she was the only one wearing a mask, and she got dirty looks from everybody when she wears a mask. Nobody's wearing a mask out there. And it's just, I don't get it. I don't get why it's a problem. It's, I, I don't understand that. And I, I won't ever understand that. So, so with the Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing, that's got me kind of bummed and worried about it. Um, and now, you know, can I can I ask you this question? I asked it on the Facebook, but can I? It's in, since you know. I mean, is it? Is it? Do we have enough time to impeach him again? you know, before the election, or before, you know, hopefully, if he doesn't get re-elected, uh, before he leaves office on January 20th in 2021, do do we have time to impeach him again? You know, you want some grounds for it? Well, how about, how about lying to the American people about the pandemic? How about that? How about his downplaying? How about that? How about, you know, you know, the deaths of coming up on 200,000 people? Huh? How about that? We could... You know, maybe. Well, is that not enough? Well, then, how about, um, uh, let's see, how about campaigning on the White House grounds? You know, he, to be fair, it wasn't the entire Republican National Convention that was held on the White House grounds, but parts of it was. And his acceptance speech was right out there on the grounds of the White House. I don't think that's supposed to be done. I think that's illegal. I think that has, I think that's a violation of campaign laws. And no, he just does it, gets away with it. I don't, you know. I wonder what the hell you Democrats doing? (laughs) But, But I just anyway. How about that? How about how about that? How about we add that to his lying about the pandemic? And then if that's not enough, let's add encouraging his supporters to to test the system and vote twice. That's illegal. Voting twice is illegal. Oh, yeah, his supporters... Oh, he was joking. He wasn't serious. He was joking. Okay, well, there are going to be supporters of Trump's that are going to try to test the system. And they're going to get caught, and they're going to get in trouble, and fearless leader will just go... We'll just shrug. Yeah, I don't care. Can we impeach him again? Can't we... <sighs> All right, I've got something I've been do- wanting to do for a little bit, and this is to end the show on a cool note. Uh, it, it's it's cool. It's something that um, yeah, it's it brings in one of my favorite things in the world. It's the band, The Who. I know. <laughs> uh, this is something that I I hadn't noticed. Uh, I've my favorite album by the Who is uh, the album Quadrophenia. It came out in 1973. It's an album that is completely written by Pete Townsend. There's you know all the other albums pr- prior to that and after that, while John Entwistle was still alive, um, John would contribute at least one or two songs each album. Sometimes he would do the lead vocals, sometimes Roger would do the lead vocals, but they would be John's songs. Uh, but Quadrophenia was all Pete's. It was his project. Everything, uh, you know, musically was his. You know, I mean, he brought in his demos, and the band did what they do with them, and we got this this brilliant, brilliant double album about a kid named Jimmy, who's a mod, which is some cultural kids thing in the in the in the UK back in the 60s, where sharp-dressed kids did, popping a lot of amphetamine pills and riding scooters and listening to the Who. And um, Jimmy is at that stage in life where he's 16 or 17. He's between being a kid, but he's not quite an adult, so there's that weird transition in life. And he's feeling split in several directions. He, he's not schizophrenic. He's quadrophrenic, And they call the album Quadrophenia. Townsend explained why it's called Quadrophenia, not uh, Quadrophrenia, because it's easier to say. Quadrophenia. That's, I, so, I read it somewhere. He says it's just easier to say it. Uh, but... And so the album starts off with this track called "I Am the Sea," which is it's just a sound effects kind of song. It's just you hear of the the uh, waves crashing against the shore, you hear rain, wind, uh, some other sounds in there, and you have a whispering voice at the beginning saying "I am the sea," and then as it plays out, you hear little snippets of four bits of song of. Uh, 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 you hear bits of four of the songs on the album. There are four songs on the album, that, that or that have sections of them anyway, that Pete calls the theme song for each of member of the band. And each member of the band represents a personality that Jimmy has, and it's all this pretentious tones and stuff, but I love it. And, and then it gets to uh, leading into the first track on the album. And I was watching a reaction video on YouTube, two young fellows in college, two young college kids, uh, listening to the song for the first time. And their listening to it, I, and my listening along, had me realizing something which I had not ever realized about that song in the, in the dozens, perhaps hundreds of times that I've listened to it. It's that there is no lead guitar on the song. The entire track, which is like, I don't know, three minutes long track. There's no lead guitar. Townsend does play guitar on it, but it's his rhythm guitar. It's his crashing power chords and all that. There's the drums. There's some horns. Of course, there's Roger singing and John Entwistle playing bass, And he's and his bass is all over the place. He's playing lead. The bass is the lead instrument on the song. Uh, and, and, and it's just it's, I never realized it that there's no lead guitar parts. There's no, no uh, lead guitar playing, any melody lines or just going to any solos or anything. No fills, no nothing. It's just it's just uh, uh, just crashing chords that Pete's doing. Uh, there might even be some synthesizer synthesize, synthesizer in there. So I'm going to play about a minute and a half of the song, just to give you enough of the feel. So um, so crank up your headphones and get ready. Nope, not that one. <laughs> oh, such a buildup. And then I hit the wrong button. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right now, get ready. Here we go okay so give this a listen crank it up if you like it's going to be pretty good here we go awesome oh that's so cool i wish i could play the whole song but i probably get in trouble i might get in trouble for playing that little bit of it but did you did you just hear the bass just going it's just going all over the place and it's just it's just wang wang twang twang, twang with the guitar and the, the drums and the and the horns and uh, it's just oh god it's so good what a great band they're such a great band and if you don't like them well then you don't like them but boy what a cool song I ah, could have listened to it all night.
0: Good night, Herr Doctor. Good night, Frau Blucher.
1: And perhaps I will, now that the show has come to an end. Uh, be skeptical. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Now, be patient. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. Stay home. Stay safe. Wear a mask. And always, as always, remember to sleep with the lights off. This is Dimland Radio on the Z Talk Radio Network. I'll see you next week. keep playing <laughs> you can check out my show notes at dimland.com just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to Dim at dimland.com that's d-r-d-i-m at dimland.com and the opening theme song RAM is by Theolius and is used with permission. has been a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our
0: competitors. Thanks, thanks for, for tuning us in. in.
1: What did you think of tonight's installment of Dimland Radio? Wow.
0: Well, wow.
1: Well. well, I'm going to hell. Good
0: night.